1: Welcome to the Real Vision Podcast Network. Welcome to the Real Vision Daily Briefing. It's Friday, November 19, 2021. I'm Ash Bennington, joined today by Real Vision CEO and co-founder Rao Pal. A pleasure to have him back. But first, uh, a quick look at what's happening out there uh, in markets and in the news. The House has passed the trillion spending package uh, known as Build Back Better. Uh, This is something that is still going to have to undergo some reconciliation potentially with the Senate. A lot to watch there. Bitcoin's taproot has activated. Elaine Lee will give us her take in a few moments. Uh, Austria has returned to lockdown mandates, partial lockdown mandates right now in Austria, as well as a mandatory uh, COVID vaccine as corona infection continues to spread across the European continent. U.S. equities, once again, you guessed it, at or near all-time highs. We're going to bring in Raul Powell to talk more about the details. Raul, welcome back to Revolution Daily Briefing. A pleasure to have you back, as always.
2: It's good to see you've gone for the grey beard look, like myself now. Yes, there'll be two of us now. Yeah, exactly. It looks good. <laughs> so,
1: Raul, lots going on in markets.
2: Yeah, right too now. much going on. I'm, I was talking to you off camera. I've just come back from two weeks holiday, and my diary is like booked three to four weeks in advance. And it's so busy. There is so much going on in literally everything right now. It's, uh, it's hard to keep on top of.
1: Well, I'm glad we've got you here for the daily briefing. Ralph, you know, a lot of rising headwinds, it seems, from a macro perspective, yet US equities you know, are doing what US equities do, which is rising at our new all-time highs. I know today was a bit of a mixed day. But Ralph, what's your take on what's happening in these markets?
2: I sound like a stuck record, but I've been saying this for a while, is I think future expected growth is going lower. And that is what the bond market is picking up. The bond market had a quite a strong day today. Even though if you go to Google Trends and look at inflation, it's all time record high mentions of inflation, the bond market still is nowhere near where it was um, back at peak um, in terms of yield. It, it rallied, the Yields went up, came back down again. So it's fa- fascinating that the bond market seems to suggest something different. The other thing that I've been talking about for a while was the propensity for the dollar to rally. That's played out in kind of big style over the last three weeks, yeah. where we saw a huge move, well, a relatively huge move in the dollar. Um, and that's, again, I think picking up on the weaker growth sentiment. It's not a yield sentiment, because yields were higher early, and the dollar wasn't higher then. It's to do with this, the fact that if you raise the price of food, gas, natural gas, and everything else on people, their propensity to spend goes down over time. So even though we're still seeing decent retail sales numbers, my guess is, later, we will see less. Now you've just added yet more COVID complications, You know, Europe, that doesn't look good right now. And Germany's talking about, do they do some partial lockdown, some um, full lockdown? I look at the chart of the Spanish stock market, it seems to be breaking lower so there's something going on out there but equity markets tend not to crack until the purchasing managers indexes go or indices go below 50 or head towards that level so they're still relatively strong they're coming off so there should be no reason yet for the equity markets to really have any sort of shock because the the kind of things i'm talking about the lower yield play and the higher dollar play and the slowing growth are all stories for
1: next year and not this year. Yeah, you know, you make so many important points there, Al. Uh, and precisely to those points, we see U.S. growth decelerating uh, now at two uh, percent, the advanced estimate for Q3 2021. Uh, we see IMF cutting its global growth forecast a few weeks ago, uh, and we have consumer sentiment here in the U.S. at a ten-year low. Consumer uh, expenditure in the U.S. roughly seventy percent of GDP. That doesn't sound like a great picture.
2: It's not, and you know. Again, I've talked about this on the daily briefing with you frequently, and you know, economies move like super tankers, really, really slowly. Yeah. But when they head in a direction, they're hard to stop. And the super tanker is turning. People just can't see it yet. That's my view. Um, and the markets, the, the the markets that are paid to to listen, like the bond market, seems to be listening. As does the dollar. Um, this, the University of Michigan surveys I've mentioned before, they break it down by spending category like housing, cars, big-ticket durable goods items. These are all-time record lows, the propensity to spend. And the reason being is they're overly expensive. That's what the survey comes back with, all-time record. So as always in financial markets, the rate of change that shocks people, and you know, two year yields have increased massively, then all of these costs have increased massively. So borrowing costs have risen, costs of buying stuff has risen, and everyone's going, you know what, I need to be careful. And if this sticks for a while longer, yeah, it's a problem.
1: Yeah, two year yields have quintupled uh from earlier in the year, trading at around 50 bips on a yield basis, and people, right?
2: Now. And people will laugh at you, say you can't look at them in terms of percentage gains. It's simply not true. And I pointed this out in In 2018, uh, when we'd got the end of the kind of yield rise, people were like, You can't look at it in those terms. I said, It's the rate of change that matters. Because let's say you are a large corporate or family office or a bank and you've refinanced money, you know, one year money at 25 basis points, and next minute it's trading at 100 basis points. That's a massive difference in your funding costs because most people have taken on more leverage. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a it's a it's a meaningful
1: risk. So is the risk off trade here by the stinking S&P? I mean, what's happening?
2: Yeah, it always is. Cuz don't forget, let's play through the scenario. So maybe I'm right. Maybe the the economy starts to weaken. Maybe the ISM starts hitting 50. What happens next? The Fed the Fed print money and the S&P goes up cuz they've debased the, the denominator. So Yeah, we're in a different world here. It sounds ridiculous. Doesn't mean you can't get the sharp sell off, the quick twenty percent sell off over two weeks. Right. But if it's signifying anything to do with the economy, anything more than that, and the Fed's in again, saying you know they're going to calm the markets, and then if they see economic growth um, slowing down, they're going to they're going to stimulate again.
1: Yeah. By the way, that's that's their trick, right? More hawkish talk from the Fed today, which you know maybe means the sort of counter indicator, precisely what you say.
2: That's right. And if the hawkish talk from the Fed mean that bond yields start falling, I understand the yield curve, though, two years have been going up. But generally, it's telling us that the forward expectations of inflation are going to fall um, over time. I always say I listen to the bond market, and I'm listening intently. Again, this is not a story for now. This is a story that we're seeing slowly, like a snowball at the top of a hill,
1: rolling down, picking up. You know, more gravitas as it goes. Yeah. Talking of which, some of these other headwinds that we're looking at, Rao, that potentially uh, may be H1 of 22 risks, but supply chains remain snarled. Uh, we have these fiscal headwinds. Uh, obviously, deficits are rising. We got another $2 trillion uh, in spending that looks like it's on uh, tap to come on today. Uh, Shortly thereafter, with the reconciliation process, whatever needs to be done to get the House bill and the Senate bill together, what are you seeing in terms of these headwinds? And how are you trying to discount them as you think through your thesis?
2: Well, there's a fiscal cliff of about 3.5% of GDP versus last year. Um, So we've got a, a big issue to overcome. And these headwinds just add into that story for next year. You know, if you're thinking about it, you put a whiteboard up and you start stacking up all of these things. I don't see the growth story. You know, the the, the side on the growth story of the whiteboard is looking pretty scant right now, and that's what people have to realise. They can't just look at the inflation now or the supply chain and say it's all due to demand. It's mainly due to supply, and so why it's called supply chain. Um, that is that is that issue has actually caused a slowdown in growth, which has always been my point. It's always why the bond, bond yields come down in the chart of truth channel is you cannot raise rates or generate inflation in this economy because it kills growth every time. Reason being, it's overly indebted. If you raise inflation on overly indebted people, they can't pay their debts. So what happens is things slow down, they, they spend less. It's really not that complicated.
1: Yeah, $8.6 trillion still on the Fed balance sheet, uh, though the taper has reduced uh, $120 billion in monthly purchases uh, of Treasury debt and agency securities by uh, $15 billion. Obviously, uh, the balance sheet remains incredibly expanded, to your point about indebtedness.
2: Yeah, and the you know, rate of change of the balance sheet is still positive, um, but it will start to slow down. And again, once you get to zero, it's basically once the rate of balance sheet growth goes to zero of most of the major nations, then you can start to see equities correct, because you've got fiscal stimulus that's gone, you'll see the business cycle turn lower. It happens almost every time. So, And then usually what happens, particularly after these recession periods, you get a period where the growth slows down, we get more stimulus, it picks up again, it slows down, we get more stimulus, and then eventually, it finds some sort of traction level. Uh, Whatever the new trend rate of growth for the world is, we have no idea right now. It is not going to be clear for another two years what the hell kind of growth we've got. Is it what some people think we've got a new rate of growth that's higher because of stimulus and other stuff, and it's you know, the US is three percent? Or is the trend rate of growth what I think it's gonna be that the demographics suggest, which is you know provable with demographic charts, that it's one percent or less. You know, that's that's the issue here. The issue is people talk about wage growth as well. You need to offset that with the number of people leaving the wage force the the labor force, because the net pool of wages may be increasing on those guys, but there's so many people leaving here that are now not getting an income that that offsets that massively. People don't look at the aggregate total wages that you know the number of people not returning to the workforce, and it's something i've I raised six months, nine months ago that this is going to be a problem. It was like, no, 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 there's a shortage. Um, of labour, blah blah blah. Yes, there is in certain things. My brother-in-law, I just spent um, some time with on holiday. He runs a restaurant in um, in uh, North Carolina, and he's like, I can't hire my staff back. I said, What is the problem? Is it wages? He said, No, they're just not coming back to the restaurant business. Right. I said, Why not? He goes, They've had enough. I'm like, well, what are they going to do? He goes, I don't know. He said, I don't know what they're doing, but they're doing different jobs, driving Ubers, doing other stuff. Right. They're just not going back to the restaurant business. I was like, wow. So there is a structural change in the labor force and what people will do for a living and what they won't currently. And working in a restaurant is a hard business, particularly, you know, he's a fine dining restaurant. That, that game is a hard, hard game. And yeah. people just like, I
1: don't want to do it. Yeah, it sure is. There's so many structural changes that seem to be happening that we just uh, collectively yet are yet to get our heads around this talk about the great resignation, what you're talking about, people leaving uh, the workforce for varying reasons, maybe their concerns about COVID, uh, maybe their child care issues now uh, with the structural changes uh, in the way that people lead their lives. There's so many things that are happening. Uh, but what we do know for certain uh, that we can actually look at because we have strong data on it is that we're still four million jobs lower uh, than February of '22. That doesn't even account for population growth. And by the way, when you look at the labor force participation rate (LFPR), the Civ part chart on Fred, it's not a pretty curve.
2: No, and I can project that forward. Uh, Remy, who works with me at Global Macro Investment, was a co-founder of Realvision. Vision. I mean, he. We created an amazing chart, maybe five years ago, that's on that retirement crisis. Remember, And that labor force participation chart actually shows the Fed balance sheet as well. It shows so many things, and it works. The forward chart of that, because it's based on demographics, works. It predicts CPI, it predicts GDP growth, it predicts the Fed balance sheet, it predicts the velocity of money, all of it. It's all to do with demographics.
1: Yeah, the coming retirement crisis explained and explored on YouTube right now from October of 2018. How many views Still, has that got now? Uh, let's check. I think it's uh, almost uh, 2.8 million views, Ralph. <laughs> <laughs> and in that thing, you know, I, there's a point where we're always going
2: to get into this. In that video, I said millennials, they have one outcome here that they need to do, and that's own crypto. I remember that well, and that
1: was, that was quite a good call. <laughs> it sure, it sure was. We're going to take a quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
3: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. Talking of which, let's shift gears here and take a look at a report from Elaine Lee talking about Taproot. Let's take a look at the clip.
4: So Bitcoin has an upgrade called Taproot. But what the hell does all that mean? I mean, let's be honest, a lot of us this week typed in the word uh, tap root into Google and it just reminded us that carrots and beetroots grow in the ground. I can't go into the super complicated stuff like why did Bitcoin miners waited around for block 709639? But the last time Bitcoin had an upgrade was four years ago and that's important to note in 2017. So for the world's biggest digital currency now in 2021, here's what it means. The TAFRIP upgrade will mean greater transaction privacy and efficiency, which means what? Unlocking the potential for smart contracts and cutting out middlemen. A little emphasis on smart contracts there because contracts, let's be honest, are the most boring things on earth to read, never mind write, craft, and learn about them. So smart contracts are digital agreements written in code and stored on the blockchain. Thank you, technology. It's hyped up the DeFi world and NFTs and puts Ethereum right up there as Bitcoin's main competitor. But the other thing is privacy and security. I've spoken to tech geeks who actually work in the biggest cybersecurity firms and mine Bitcoin themselves. And security on the world Wide web is no joke, but this part of the upgrade is attracting them the most. And a lot of folks who put privacy first. Now I spoke to miners who are friends of the show on Real Vision and they tell me it doesn't affect them so much, but a step into smart contract is definitely the right move. So what does this mean for many? Um, That basically just means that it has the flexibility. Taproot will set the foundation for the next phase of innovation in the Bitcoin protocol in a safe way. And many expect this upgrade to unleash a new wave of innovation in Bitcoin. And to see the full effect of this upgrade, it's going to take some time. Back over to you guys and happy Friday.
1: Well, there you have it, Elaine Lee doing some yeoman's work for Real Vision. Obviously, this is very challenging, very technical uh, material here. For me, the big takeaway is this is the first update to Bitcoin uh, since 2017, during the so-called scaling wars, uh, the block size wars. It was much more contentious then, uh, much less contentious now, a series of minor improvements uh, going in privacy, Schnorr richers, room for smart contracts, and much, much more. Raoul, well, I'm sure we'll be talking about that. We'll get someone on like Santiago Velez, uh, who does brilliant work. Doing technical work uh, here uh, in the interviews to explain some of these very complicated technical topics. But in the meantime, Ralph, we were talking a little bit off camera uh, about your view of what's happening in the Bitcoin and Ethereum space and the relative valuations.
2: So I have been talking about on the daily briefing for a long time about the chart of Ethereum following exactly the chart of Bitcoin 2017 so much so that I've got it set up on my Bloomberg, and it's tick for tick. And I tweeted it out this week about the sell-off. It's like, yeah, this is expected, and it should turn around today, and it did. It's kind of spooky, <laughs> but there's a number of things that I look at suggest, and again, we've talked about this endlessly, that this November, December period is is very positive. But the chart, I think, is the most important chart right now is the chart of Ethereum versus Bitcoin. It's currently at- 0. So 0.074. At 0.08, it breaks out of this lovely pennant pattern and a larger basing pattern that goes for years. It looks like its performance will double versus Bitcoin. Um, Ethereum as of today is up 480% this year, and Bitcoin's up 100%. It tells you something crazy is about to happen in crypto markets. Does that mean that other um, other tokens outperform Ethereum, probably. It feels like we're getting close to the final crazy phase that often happens. How long that goes on for, I've got a different view on that. I think I've talked about it before. There's a lot of institutional allocation that's going to come in January, February, March. New hedge fund P&Ls all coming in. I think this cycle extends much further than people imagine and goes much higher in price. But we're right in the sweet spot for um, what traditionally would be a very strong market, and Ethereum should be the leader.
1: Well, explain what that chart does, and exactly how you built it, and why. The chart overlays Ethereum
2: now with Bitcoin back in two thousand and seventeen. I started looking at it when I got attacked for talking about Bitcoin, uh, Ethereum, about a year and a bit ago um, on Twitter, and people were like you know you're. Cheating on us with Ethereum. It's a scam coin. I'm like, well, I'm going to look into this. And I started looking at Metcalf's law and network adoption models and all of this. And I realized that Ethereum looked like Bitcoin did at exactly the same number of wallet addresses. I'm like, huh. And it was trading at the same price. I'm like, huh. And then I put one price over the other and they were the same. So that chart is. A previous route, basically, Ethereum came out five years later than Bitcoin and seems to lag it by a cycle. And bizarrely, Solana and Terra are lagging Ethereum by a cycle. So they Ethereum had a huge end of year back in 2017. It would suggest that those two would too. It's a weird function. I think it's to do with network effects. Why it does it tick, tick for tick is just pure voodoo. And at some point, the correlation will break apart, and that's fine. It's just hellishly amusing to watch because it's like, it's thumbing your nose at all of us who've tried to use these kind of these comparison charts before, and then they fail immediately when you look at them. And this one just refuses to fail, which is hilarious.
1: Yeah, it's like the Soros line about when something refuses to go away uh, that should. It's something to take a look at. And by the way, isn't it funny that they're only chart crimes until they become common sense? (laughs) Oh, that expression
2: chart crime really annoys me. (laughs) Me too. Really, really annoys me. (laughs) There's always some guys like, well, you should have put that one on a log scale. How dare you put two different things on the same chart? It's like, get over it. It's just contextualization. That's all we're trying to do is we're trying to contextualize things. Nobody's expecting perfection here. We're just contextualizing.
1: Yeah. Uh, by the way, talking about Ethereum and DeFi, I want to take a look at a clip. Uh, this is Jim Bianco talking to uh, Campbell Harvey. He's a professor at Duke University about the nature of DeFi. Let's take a look at that really quick.
0: And decentralized finance is just an algorithm. So it's a formula and the algorithm is completely open source. So you can see the actual algorithm. It's not hidden. You can see what the formula is. You can see what the liquidity is in the decentralized exchange. You can have a good idea of what the slippage will be when you actually do a a trade. And there is the equivalent of uh, like limit order book, all of this stuff is possible in decentralized exchange. And again, I know it's uh, difficult to envision a system like this, but it is remarkable to me that the algorithm, um, which you refer to as an automated uh, market maker, uh, it doesn't care if you're buying or selling. It's just a formula. That's it.
1: There you have it, Jim Bianco and Professor Campbell Harvey at Duke University. Really interesting piece, a big picture look at this, particularly for people who haven't been uh, following the space too closely. I think it does a very good job of contextualizing exactly what's happening here. By the way, Raoul, talking of contextualizing what's happening here, we've got a bit of news, don't we?
2: Yeah, so I did get off this island for the first time in 21 months ago on holiday, but I'm getting off the island again. And this time is to go to an event. And I've I'm not going to go to a lot of events anymore, because just traveling, it takes too much time, and it's hard work. But this is a Real Vision event, and it's, it's in conjunction with MGM in Las Vegas. Um, and I think it's going to be a hell of an event. So it's all crypto. We've got some incredible people. So everybody from the guys talking about social tokens, through to the people talking about DeFi, through to looking at the macro, through to hedge funds, through to DAOs. And all of the kind of NFTs, and it's kind of a rock star group of people. So I just thought I have to go. I have to go. So I'm going to be talking to Bill Tai, uh, one of the first talks. And Bill and I uh, always have a great conversation. He's just one of the best people in the space. We're going to be talking NFTs, DAOs, and a whole bunch of other stuff. Um, I'm going to be going to the drinks parties, which will be fun because I've not been in kind of huge groups of people. There's you know there's not that many people in the came lines, but there's a lot of people going to this it, so i'm really looking forward to it it's be a lot of fun uh we're going to learn a lot and all of the kind of favorites of real vision are going to be there are you, are you coming along ash absolutely hell yeah wouldn't miss it for the world yeah so we're all going to be there all the gang's going to be hanging out uh, probably drinking too much um probably enjoying themselves a lot um and just getting to say hi to people so there are tickets left um so the early bird discount is running out super fast, it's limited by number. So if you are interested in coming, uh, you better go quick. I think they'll be gone by the end of today. Um, but there are tickets available for the broader event. It's at a decent-sized venue, so we can expand it a bit. But come and join us. It should be a lot of fun. It's the first time I've seen pretty much anybody
1: um, in the broader world. I've not seen you, Ash, for two years two years, yeah, since late 2019. By the way, Raoul, you've taken the high ground, talked about the important issues we're going to be talking about, all of which is completely true, but it's also going to be a hell of a party. We should point out that that this isn't just the event, uh, isn't just at the MGM Grand. Uh, MGM is a partner of Real Vision. So we're going to be doing events all over Las Vegas at all of their properties. It's going to be an incredibly exciting event and a hell of a lot of fun.
2: Yeah. And there are some great parties. There's um And Shannon, who's organized it, has found some amazing venues. And yeah, MGM have laid it all on for us. So it should be pretty special. And there's a lot of people flying in from all over the place for it. So I'm looking forward to this.
1: And your first Real Vision post-COVID event in person.
2: Real Vision post-COVID? What does that mean? Post-COVID. Post-COVID, yes, that's right. Yeah. Because I missed the party in New York. Because we've still got quarantine. I've still got my tracking bracelet on here. So I can't leave the house uh, until Tuesday. But the quarantine gets lifted next week. I came back a week. I should have come back a week later, but I didn't. Um, And so then we can come back in a lot easier. So yes, I've not really been able to travel. And as I said, I'm certainly not going to travel a lot, and I'm not going to go around to all the events. There's there's too many and I've got too much going on. But this is a Real Vision event, and it's pretty special.
1: Yeah, it's going to be the event, uh, I think, of the year, although it's uh, taking place in December. It's going to be great to get together with people uh, from Real Vision, people who are Real Vision viewers in person. We had a great time at the party in New York. I think this is just going to be on a bigger scale. Yeah, yeah. Should be a lot of fun. And
2: hopefully, we'll be in the, in the teeth of the massive crypto rally, the final hurrah for the year. <laughs> and then we can all buy champagne and spray it around, not
1: even drink it. <laughs> It would be great if it worked out that way. Um. We're going to take another quick break and be right back with more of the day's top analysis on the Real Vision Daily Briefing.
3: You're a podcast listener, and this is a podcast ad. Reach great listeners like yourself with podcast advertising from Lips and Ads. Choose from hundreds of top podcasts offering host endorsements, or run a reproduced ad like this one across thousands of shows to reach your target audience with Lips and Ads. Go to lipsandads.com now. That's L-I-B-S-Y-N-Ads.com.
1: Welcome back to Real Vision's Daily Briefing. Let's get right back to the top analysis of today's markets. You know, Ralph, talking of which, lots of questions coming in uh, for us right now. I want to hit a couple of them uh, before we call it a week here. This one comes to us from uh, Mark A. Jones. This is coming to us through the exchange. That's Real Vision's internal social network. Uh, and the question is uh, How would you expect the crypto space to react to an equity drawdown or risk off event? Is crypto a diversifier or is it an added risk to a traditional portfolio? It's a great question. It depends what kind of sell off. If it is a
2: Something's happened. China's invaded Taiwan. It's all going down um If it is the equity market rolls over and falls by twenty percent slowly over the a matter of a few months, crypto's not going down so it's really it's to do with our positions being liquidated, or is this just a a general um lull in markets? So it's only the short sharp shops that hit crypto, I think.
1: Yeah. Uh, here's a great question, another crypto related question that comes to us from Omar B, also from the exchange. Uh, and the question is Rao and Ash, I've been following your incredible crypto journey. What do you think is the next narrative? Right now, there are more things like metaverse tokens, or is it DAOs and community tokens? It's a lot of questions.
2: So I think community and social tokens are later. I think they're, they're really a year and Next year and the year after, they'll start picking up steam. I think the metaverse is front and center right now. Um, I think DAOs are going to get interesting. We're going to see the DAO structures around asset management that's going to get interesting as well. Um, so there's a lot still to come. There's probably, a, there'll probably another wave of innovation coming out of DeFi. Mm-hmm. Um, NFTs have obviously been the hot ticket, and that's not going to die down for the time being. Um, then it's the other layer one protocols. You know, the Solana, Avalanche, Terra, that kind of stuff. So th- there's actually too much to look at right now. But yeah. I think further out the risk curve, social tokens is later. Tokenization of real estate is even later than that. Coming closer um is probably yeah, asset management is coming. Um the rest of this year is about the layer ones. Yeah, I think mainly the layer ones and
1: NFTs. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the things that are tokenization of real-world assets, things that require uh, lawyers and accountants uh, to do take a little bit longer than things that are uh, done with code alone. Mark, here's my insight on this. The fascinating thing uh, that I get from my seat here at Real Vision talking to all these different people is that people who are in different spaces, they're doing this. Their head is down. They're focused on the thing that they're working on, whether it's NFTs uh, or the metaverse or DeFi. And very often, they're not seeing things that are happening. Uh, outside of their little sphere uh, of influence. So what's fascinating to me uh, is that all of these sort of individual threads are continuing to grow uh, on their own. So it's not as though people are switching gears; they're continuing to work on the thing. Go ahead,
2: yeah. I mean, that's the key thing here. Is I can't remember who explained this to me, but basically, we're running tens of thousands of, or yeah, probably tens of thousands of economic experiments, right, in real time. Um, we've never done this before. We've never been able to test business models. That one fails. We've learned from that one. We'll move on to that one. The rate of innovation and adaptation in this space is like is mind blowing because yeah. everybody's focusing on their bit. Yes. And there's a group of people focusing on that. They're all watching what each other's doing, watching the successes, the failures. And then a new group come in because they've learned, here's another way of doing it. We've never seen business models being tested at such rapidity, because they can raise capital with such rapidity, um, and such ease. It's it's truly something to behold.
1: Yeah, it really is. I just did an interview with uh, Tasha Che, uh, who's talking about. The oh, how fact- was that? Fantastic! You're gonna love it. It's a great piece. She's brilliant absolutely brilliant. Former uh, PhD uh, from uh, Georgetown in macroeconomics, and she's eyebrow deep in this space, thinking about really, I think, applying traditional macro models uh, to the world of uh, DeFi and digital assets more broadly. And she had this fascinating point, which was, hey, wait, stay tuned for the intersection of DeFi and NFTs. NFTs effectively make this sort of like a YouTube effect, where everyone could be a content creator. Now everyone can be an asset creator. A really fascinating analysis about how those spaces might intersect.
2: Yeah, and also I still linger on Yat series thoughts about um, not only cultures and investments but universal basic equity. That by being part of these communities, you have a token. And if that community thrives because you enjoy its culture, and you want to help it, your token goes up. So you're creating assets out of not traditional, I'm looking at the balance sheet of General Electric. right? You're doing something wildly different here, which is creating a community and a culture and helping it grow, and and you make money out of it. It's like the guys who tried to buy the, the Constitution yesterday. I would love the fact it was Stevie Cohen who outbid them. He probably did that on purpose, right? Just to poke <laughs> one in the eye at all of these people. That no, wasn't Stevie Cohen. Sorry, it was Ken Griffin. Citadel. So, so somebody's now starting a um, Citadel DAO to buy Citadel. <laughs> <laughs> Good luck. Um, but, um, I was speaking to Kevin Kelly today as well. And there's another DAO being formed to buy a um, NBA team. Hmm. Um, and that's the idea: is, to, is that enough people pull together, and they use a dow structure to buy uh, an NBA team, which is incredible.
1: Yeah, it's all incredible. This idea of, uh, as you say, this ability of people to participate in an equity-like way and an ownership stake way uh, in the protocols that they're involved with. For example, I think the most uh, sort of obvious example of this in recent weeks has been ENS, Ethereum Name Service. If you thought it was a good idea to own your name uh, at .eth, suddenly one morning uh, you woke up and you had tokens in your in your wallet, uh, or the ability to claim tokens in your wallet, I should say, that were worth ten thousand dollars, which is a life-changing amount of money for people uh, around the world, and it's pretty damn good here in the United States.
2: Yeah. Although I spoke to Elaine earlier today, she got some of these and they're like, they've gone, they plummeted in price because obviously everybody has given a gift and sells it, takes yeah. the cash. But um, but yes, it's amazing. It's amazing, right?
1: And by the way, you could have liquidated those tokens the moment that you, they hit your account, right? Like there was no ability or uh, to force people to hold them, there was no lockup period. So the moment you got them, you could have sold them and exchanged them for USD. Yeah. Incredible. Incredible story. Raul, as we get to the end here, final thoughts. I know there's a lot going on. Very curious to hear how you sum up some of the points we made earlier today about macro and where we are on crypto.
2: Um My last GMI was called Steady As She Goes, and I think it continues, is like, we're seeing this relative slowdown, the market should be relatively fine unless something dramatic changes. We are at the exciting point in the crypto cycle, so that will remain the focus. You know, I just recently did a trade in macro insiders in the euro, nailed it, absolutely nailed it, made 4%. I mean, bloody Ethereum's up 6% today. This is the problem I've got, is like, there is- yeah, the, the the risk reward is not great in traditional markets in comparison. Um, so, I mean, the other one I've been focused on has been the carbon credits, which has been a, the carbon trade, which has been a phenomenal trade, which up about over one hundred percent this year. It's been the strongest performing commodity, carbon. So that's been interesting. But look, yeah, I I think it's steady as she goes. Keep your eye on crypto. I know that's been pretty much the message for a
1: while now, but it's worked. <laughs> yeah. Rao, final thoughts on the MGM conference? We should say the dates, of course. It's from December 9th to December 11th at the MGM Grand in Las Vegas. Final thoughts about that, Rao? It's called The Takeover.
2: We will take over various parts of Las Vegas. There will be fun. And I'm just looking forward to getting together with a lot of people I know and respect in the space. You know, a lot of people cover the same old speakers, um, but we've got a lot of the really interesting people. People are looking. Tokenization of music, tokenization of, you know, these DAOs, people are looking at NFTs, really at the cutting edge of the whole thing. And it's just gonna be fun to get together with these people. People like Pierce Kicks is flying in for it as well. Yeah. You know, king of the metaverse. Um and I I'm just really looking forward to getting together and picking these people's brains and and having a drink with them in the evening and and just swapping stories because it's been a
1: crazy old year. Yeah, we've got some incredible speakers coming. I'm not sure which names I can say. So I'm not, because you and I are notoriously the worst I know. speakers at Real Vision. I know.
2: But that's why they gave me no information. and I refuse to look at it because <laughs> if not, I'll, I'll, I'll get myself into trouble. Yes, me too. More to come shortly. Exactly. More to
1: come. <laughs> dot, dot, dot. Ralph, really looking forward to seeing you in Las Vegas. Thank you again for joining us on the show.
2: Yeah, great to be here. Everyone, have a fantastic weekend. Try not to get over-obsessed with markets. I know it's a little bit hard right now, but do your best. Indeed. Thanks for
1: watching, everyone.